chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. I'll read the first verse, you read the second verse, and we'll read the last verse together. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The word of God, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, next week, we have, we have communion next week, and uh, Pastor Hong's going to be back. I would love for all you youth, young adults that are here today to come again next week. I mean, we have service every time at 9.30. That's because Howard's preaching, you got to come. Sure, he's great, you know, and he loves for you guys to be here. Pastor Hong is not bad, too, sometimes. <laughs> you know, so come out and support Pastor Hong, because he, he, would, he wouldn't believe all the people that are here this morning. He would just, you know, he thinks that when he's gone, the church falls apart. <laughs> it doesn't, okay? So let's come, next week, let's come out tomorrow, next week, and support Pastor Hong, just like you do Pastor Howard this morning. Now I invite, invite Pastor Hong, I mean Pastor Howard, to lead us in our sermon this morning. Give Howard a round of applause. Test. Good morning. Can you guys turn to everyone around you and say you are welcome here? I think uh, there's a problem in our church. <laughs> I think that we in here don't realize how special we have it. The, the thing is this, uh, I, I graduated from seminary a few years ago, and my professors, they're all PhDs and this and that, blah, 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 I don't know what they do. But they have PhDs, and you know what they're interested in? They're interested in our church. Do you know why? Look around you. This is a Korean church, but nobody told everyone else. We, I've read book after book about multicultural churches and how to develop them and their strategies and put this plan into place, and you will have a multicultural church that will look like heaven. And they can't do it. Like, it's a white church and there's a black guy. It's a black church and there's a white guy. You know, and they're like, yes, we're multicultural, look at us grow. But our church, if you look around, we are genuinely multicultural. And it's not easy, it, it isn't. Because like, you know, like the combined services, when the Korean part, I'm just like, I don't know what he's saying. The English part, like, yes, praise the Lord. Korean part, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> you know, it, it's not easy, it, it's, it's kind of clunky. But at the same time, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. This has nothing to do with my sermon. I just wanted to tell you that our church is special and that people are noticing. Our youth ministry is the same way. I think 40% are non-Korean. 40% of our youth group is non-Korean. God is doing something in our, in our ministry, in our church. And so I think sometimes we sit in our Bible studies and come to, the congregation, uh, come to the service and we kind of forget that God is moving in such a powerful way in our church. And you just kind of forget. I just wanted to remind you, this is the new year. God is doing something amazing. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche. Amen? 
All right, so I wanted to start out with a story. Now, my son has to forgive me because it makes him feel a little goofy, but uh, I'm a hunter. I know I'm Asian, and that's why I grew this beard so I could really be a hunter. So we were turkey hunting last year, and don't worry, no, no animals are harmed in the making of this story. We were hunting for turkey, and turkey season in South Carolina, that's where I'm from, there's only one month. And so we're out in the woods, and we got camo on, we got like, uh, we're, uh, my son has his bow, his bow and arrow. I have my uh, shotgun, because I'm not going to shoot a turkey with a bow and arrow, I want to eat it. And so I'm just like, all right, this is it. And we're creeping through the woods, and I see this humongous tom, that's a male turkey. Big, it's, it's fellow, uh, feathers are all billowed out, beautiful, beautiful turkey. I'm like, Yes! So we're creeping around the edge of the field, and it's in the middle of the field with a bunch of chicks. Chicks like in girls, not like baby chicks. And I'm, we're creeping around the edge, right? And, and it's hard because turkeys are so, they have such good vision. So we, we have to be like ninjas, camouflage ninjas. And we're, so we're coming around like this, right? And my, my older son, he's 15. My younger son, he's uh, 11. <laughs> I have five kids, okay? Their ages change every year. It's ridiculous. So he's behind me, and we're walking, we're creeping, right? And it's, the field is right next to a road, and there's this big log truck, like a Mack truck, just comes down, just coming down the road. And I'm, I'm not thinking of anything. I'm just looking at that Tom. I'm just waiting. I'm just going to cross the, uh, the, the field and walk behind the field. And then, boom, we're going to have a turkey dinner, right? No. My youngest son has this idea. He's like, what, what, do, what do kids do on the highway when they see a Mack truck go by? <laughs> So my youngest son, he's like, sees a truck, he's like, well, yeah, of course I will. And he starts going like this in camouflage with, I have my shotgun, he has his bow, and he's going like this on the edge of the highway, big turkey in the field, log truck coming down, he goes like this. And the trucker, he has like x-ray vision, he sees my son in camouflage, and he honks the horn, it's like, Arr! I'm like, I'm looking around, I'm like, what happened, what, the turkey, the big turkey in the middle, he, 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 he sees the truck. He just starts tra traipsing off into the woods. It was the last day of the season. <laughs> Turkey season doesn't come around again for next year. And I turn around and I look at my son and I'm like, really? <laughs> my oldest son turns around and he's like, really? We're bewildered. Turkey season ends. No turkey for Howard. Nope. So if you're like avid, like anti-hunter, we didn't shoot the we didn't shoot the bird. It's okay. You're happy. I'm happy. And no, I'm not happy, but it is what it is. What was the problem with my youngest son? <laughs> my my youngest son just said he's immature. Um, <laughs> brothers are so mean to one another. He just lost focus. Am I right? He forgot we were hunting. He thought. He just needed to, come on, truck, you know? He forgot that we were hunting. Now, my, young, my son, he is a very good hunter. He is. Like, he is like a ninja. He sees things in the woods. I'm just saying this for his benefit so he's not traumatized. I hate you being a pastor, Dad. Um, so we're in the woods, and we see, uh, he sees deer, and he tells me, there's a deer over there, there's a deer over there, there's a deer over there. He's really good at it. So I just want to say that he's, he doesn't honk anymore when trucks go by. He's learned his lesson. But he lost focus. Now, this sound may sound like a message that is for new believers, but it's really not. When I wrote this message, I was thinking about myself. When I was writing this message, I was thinking about my youth. When I was writing this message, I was thinking about you. Some of you guys that have been in church your whole entire life, I was thinking about you. Because the problem is, it doesn't matter how much you know, it is easy to lose focus. 
And then I also had to come up with like a New Year's kind of message. It's around New Year's, so you have to kind of talk about New Year's a little bit. So it was kind of like two birds with one stone. Or no bird, in my case. So when we talk about focus, when we talk about focus, Jesus lays it out in Mark 8, 34 through 37, which we just read. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to him, uh, said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Now what is happening in this passage in the book of Mark at this time is that Jesus has just finished feeding thousands of people. Crowds and droves are coming after him. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples, no, 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 no. I have to be captured and killed. And Peter rebukes Jesus. You remember this? This really worked out for Peter. Never, Lord. And Jesus says what? Get behind me, Satan. That's like a morale booster. <laughs> I'm one of Jesus' disciples, but he called me Satan today, so I'm not feeling so good. This is surrounding Jesus' tumultuous rise to popularity. And Jesus is starting to tell his disciples and those that are gathered around him, he says, okay, you want to follow me? You want to join the club? You want to get on my team? This is what you need to do. You need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, this is before Jesus even died on the cross. Pretend like I didn't stumble. This is even before Jesus had known that he was going to be crucified on the cross. There was no cross mentioned. Jesus knows what he's talking about. This cross that you will bear, this comes to life when, they, when Jesus dies on the cross and rises again from the grave. The disciples begin to, oh, click, oh, take up my cross. So to refocus, to follow Jesus again, to remember in this new year what it takes to follow the Lord, we have to begin to remember the word deny. But before we go to deny, let's talk about the word save. He says, if anyone will come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life. Now, what does this first save mean? How do we save our life? What are these, the, the, these people that are following Jesus, what are they wanting to save in their life? It's probably that they want comfort. They want security. They want to know that their life would, be go, that their life would go well. Right? Maybe some of them are thinking about eternal life. But they're also thinking, and we know this from studying scripture, that the Romans were in rule over Israel at the time, and all of those people, they wanted the Roman rulers to fall. They wanted Jesus to be king and bring Israel back to like David and Solomon days, when it was rich and renowned and everybody knew who they were, and they were influential and powerful. They were God's chosen people. That's what they wanted. For us, when Jesus says, if you want to save your life, what are we oftentimes thinking about for us? We want kids, not as many as me, but, you know, like one or two. You want a husband or a wife? You want grandkids? You want a good job? You want that raise or promotion? You want a nice house? Maybe you're not saying you want much. You want to be rich or not, but you just want some sort of level of security. You want your life to go well for you. And Jesus is not saying save in that terms. The second save, he says, if you want to save your life, right, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is this second save we're talking about? Jesus is saying, if you want your life to be saved, then you got to get, you got to get rid of that first save. 
It's not about security and comfort and, and all of the desires and, 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 and all of that stuff that goes with that. It's this same, which means the life abundant. The full life has nothing to do with the clothes you wear, the cars you drive, the type of format you have in your family, your, your house. It has nothing to do with that. The abundant life is healing from brokenness. The abundant life is doing the work of ministry, leading people to the Lord, discipling people, living for the glory of God. That is the abundant life because everything else pales in comparison. And Jesus says when you lose your life, you will save it. But this is what's so hard. This is so hard for the church because in our culture, we have no pressure to follow the Lord. When you look at China and the persecuted church in China, the underground church, we've sent, in my, uh, when I was in missions, we sent tons of teams to China smuggling Bibles overseas. We would meet with the underground church. And do you know what they'd be praying? They'd be praying for persecution for America. Because they know that there's a certain type of grace that comes. That people draw near when they are persecuted. It's really hard to stand for Christ when you're apathetic, when you have no pressure. All of a sudden, every little thing, like you go, in, go into work and you're just like, your friend asks you to go to the club and you're just like, uh, you don't want to say, oh, I don't do that, I follow Jesus. Because you're like, oh, that's so awkward, they won't like me, I don't know what to say, I don't want to feel like an idiot. That becomes really, really tiny. But then I've heard testimonies in China where a, a, a pastor and his wife were being murdered in front of the, the child. And the men said to the child, or said to the father, if you don't profess, if you don't profess, uh, or, or uh, not profess, if you don't deny Christ, then we're going to kill you in front, of your, uh, in front of your child. And the child says, no, 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 do not deny Christ. The child says that to his father, do not be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see how there's a difference? And it's not because of the quality of the Christian. It's the quality of the grace. That when persecution, when crisis hits our life, when things go hard and we turn to the Lord, it transforms us. It changes us. It helps us to focus. So when we're talking about saving your life, we're talking about the abundant life. We're talking about eternal security. We're talking about being in God's presence. But we are like children. Have you guys heard that study where they offered a kid a candy bar or a $100 check? And the kid takes the candy bar? Why? It's called immediate gratification. It's because I can open that candy bar, I can put it in my mouth, and I can eat it and taste the candy. I don't understand the check. I don't understand that if I deposit that check, I can buy 100 candy bars or more. Right? It's the immediate gratification. Our earth, our time on earth is this immediate gratification. Students, we get caught up in school and your careers, which is important, but not the most important thing. We worry about our 401ks, our retirement. We worry about our kids, which is important, but it's not the most important thing. Christ says to deny yourself and follow him. And I know you start to think, oh, okay, this is going to be a guilt-ridden message. It's not. When Christ says to deny yourself and follow him, he's offering you something far, far, far better. Have you ever thought about holiness as something that's refreshing and not a burden? 
A lot of people, when they think about holiness, like, I got to be holy. That means I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. But can you imagine, let's say you're a heroin addict, right, and you're shooting up heroin and you need it to live. I don't know if you've ever had an addiction anywhere, like, you know, cigarettes is like that. Some, for some people, coffee is like that. Some people, chocolate is like that, right? But you have this thing where you absolutely need it to live, and you're like, I wish I didn't. I wish I wasn't stuck in this, right? And then a heroin addict wakes up the next morning, and his addiction is completely gone. How refreshing that would feel. Holiness, or being separated for God, that's what holiness means. Separated for God meaning like I'm marked for God, I belong to God, I am now holy. I'm not for this world. I'm marked, I'm separated. That's what holiness means. Is refreshing. When Jesus says deny yourself and follow him, it is refreshing. He says my burden is light. You've tried to do everything on your own. You feel guilty. You try to do the right thing, but then you fail again. You feel guilty. You're doing it all on your own. And Jesus says, hey, if you follow me, I'll forgive your sin. If you put your faith in me, I'll forgive your sin. If you follow and do what I tell you to do, your life will be far better than when you tried to do everything on your own, seeking promotions or getting popular or being cool or insta-famous or whatever. I will take everything that you thought was amazing and I will turn it on its head and make it absolutely amazing. But it just doesn't look like the world. It doesn't. And so denial actually becomes a breath of fresh air. He's saying, hey, take the, take the fake and replace it with the genuine. And it becomes wonderful. We as Christians, we forget that. How many times have you guys failed over and over in sin? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lose my temper. I lose my temper with my kids all the time. I have five of them, so they gang up on me. It makes me really angry. And then all of a sudden, I lose my temper, and I'm like, I'm such a bad Christian and I start thinking like, oh, I failed again, I failed again, I failed again. And all I do is I dwell on that failure. And you know what happens in that moment? Who am I glorifying? I'm glorifying myself. I'm glorifying Satan. I'm glorifying my sin. But then when I'm reminded that Christ has forgiven me, it doesn't mean that I don't have to make it right. I need to make it right with my kids. But that I can be free from that burden. That Christ has accepted me and he loves me. It all of a sudden shifts the way I think about life. I'm not no longer burdened, and Christianity is never uh, anymore about what I can't do or what I have to do. You get that? Denial becomes a breath, a breath of fresh air. Christ is basically saying, hey, I want you to take your old obsession, which is the world, and I want you to replace it with a new obsession, which is me. New Year's resolutions, you know why they don't work? A lot of times we don't replace it with anything. I'm just not going to, I'm going to exercise every day. But they didn't replace their old habits with something new. I remember when I was going through high school, I was a druggie. I, I was a pothead. I smoked pot every day. Smoked two packs of cigarettes every day. I was just really, really messed up kid, right? My dad finds out that I'm on drugs. This is when I was in ninth grade. Ninth grade. My dad finds out I'm on drugs, and he decides he does the bravest thing I've ever heard. He quits his job, and he pulls me out of school, and he moves me to a different city in a different state. So I was living in D.C., and he moved me to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I wanted to be off drugs. I didn't want to be like those people that were on drugs, right? I knew where it was going. I was just doing it to rebel, and I was angry. My parents got divorced, and I just, you know, like kids, we're just, we can't process well. And my parents, I couldn't speak to them because they spoke Korean, and I didn't speak Korean. And so I was just an angry kid, just living it out. And my dad does this brave thing. He quits his job, starts up a, new whole, a whole new life, new church, new everything, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and at that moment I decide I'm not going to be a druggie. That's not who I am. And so I quit. 
And, I re- and this was before I was a Christian. I really think it was the Lord guiding me. But I became a wrestler. I switched it out. I switched from being, you know, those druggy pothead kids to one of those, like, you know, jock kind of guys. I became a wrestler, and I became obsessed with wrestling. I switched obsessions. For many of you, you have to remember your first obsession with Christ. My wife and I have been married for 16, going on 17 years. Next month will be 17 years. We married when we were very young, started popping out kids immediately. We're overachievers. <clears throat> you have to be good at something, so I, I was good at making babies. So, <clears throat> Is that going to be recorded? Now that I think about that, that's probably not good. Okay, um, but you remember when you first fell in love with your significant other? And those of you that are forever alone, I'm really sorry. This is not what I'm, I'm not talking to you guys. But for those of you, your significant other, my wife and I, when we first started dating, like, it was like when she would leave the room, like, she would go, like, to hang out with her friends that night. I'm just like, oh, it hurts. And we didn't have text because then I would have seemed like a real idiot. <laughs> I would have texted her, I missed you so much. I can't breathe. Like, nonsense like that. That's how much I was obsessed with my wife. It was, like, physically painful, and I still feel that way. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> But it matured into something better. But it started with, like, an interest. Like, hey, I, I kind of like you. You're very, very, very beautiful. And um, that's guys. I don't know. She's really beautiful. And so it started with interest. But then it blossomed to an obsession. I wanted to be around her nonstop, right? And then it moved into a love commitment. Love commitment meaning we got married. Love committed, right? It's not just I love you. It stopped becoming cheap. It became marriage, meaning, like, I'm going to live with you. I'm going to take care of you, support you. You're going to take care of me, support me. Like, it became a commitment. And then now it's developed into maturity. It's not the same as when we were in the beginning. And for a lot of you, we forgot our first obsession with the Lord, right? And we don't know how to get to this maturity level. How many of you guys in your New Year's resolution, if you were thinking about it, or decided what you wanted to do in 2016 was to grow in the Lord, in your relationship with the Lord? Most of you would be like, yeah, I want to get closer to the Lord. I want to get better. My youth and my college students, they all say that. They're like, I want to become closer to the Lord. But, like, how do you get to maturity from obsession? Well, sometimes we forget the obsession. We forget what it was like, how close we were. And so we want to rekindle that. And when you think of it in terms of relationship, it's much, 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 much easier. Relationship with Christ is very similar, I think, to to romantic relationships if they go well. Number one, get to know him. Now, this goes for those that have followed Jesus all their life. About two years ago, I started reading the Gospels again just to isolate Jesus. I just took Jesus, and I just wanted to know about Jesus, to get to know who he was and what kind of person he was. And many, many times I would read the Gospels, the stories, I would be moved to tears because I would put myself in the place of those people that he was ministering to. Because oftentimes I think Jesus looks at me like I'm a Pharisee. He's angry at me. But most of the time, I feel like I'm the broken. I'm the leper. I'm the woman at the well. I'm the blind man. And the way Jesus responds is just absolutely unbelievable. And I think a lot of our youth feel that way too. Because they'll come to me with some sin and they'll think it's horrible and that God will not forgive it. And it's just not true. You look at the people that Jesus encounters in the gospel, you will start to get to know him. And you will start to fall in love with him. I always encourage people to start reading um, uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke. It's because it's written to non-Jewish people. And we're not Jewish. Most of us are not Jewish, right? So it's easier to understand. And if you can't understand it when you're reading it, read the message version. 
Now, this is not for Bible study. The message version is a paraphrased version. It just means that it's thought by thought. It's really easy to understand. It's like how we talk. And some of you people that have grown up in the church all your life and tradition and this, and I get it. I, I believe it. But the, the original languages, the original Greek, they were written in Koine Greek. It means common Greek. It means like trade Greek. I can read common Greek, and it's not common to me. But when we read the gospel, sometimes when we read the King James Version, it doesn't make sense. It's very, uh, very hoity-toity. It's really high up, and we don't understand. It's very Shakespearean to us, and we don't understand what it's saying. It's better to understand the gospel because it was written in common language, just like we talk today. The second thing, hang out with Christians at the same stage. This means peers. A lot of us have no Christian friends, and those that we come to church with here, we don't ever talk about Jesus to. It's, think of it as in terms of a workout buddy. When I exercise with something, Julian, where's Julian? Julian right there. Him and I, when we do CrossFit together, he pushes me to be better. He always beats me. But he's like 10, 15, 20 years younger than me, so. <laughs> if I was his age, I'd beat him. But he always pushes me. Many of you guys, and I'm, and I'm talking about men because I'm a man. It's really, really hard to find Christian brothers that you can just talk about Jesus and be vulnerable with because we just want to talk about football. I get it. We want to talk about hunting. When me and my guy friends, we get together, we talk about hunting. Then we talk about Jesus. We start with something that we can have common ground. But it's, it's imperative. It's, you have to find these people, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that might mean just joining a Bible study just to kind of get to know. That might mean asking somebody that you don't know very well to go out to lunch and hang out or have breakfast with you just so you can get to know each other and talk. And it's really awkward, but it's in, it needs to be intentional because we can't just sit in the pews every week after week and think, oh, why am I not growing in Christ? Because the sermon in here is not meant to grow you. Your relationship with Christ is meant to grow you. Your, a 30-minute sermon will not change your life. Maybe, I mean, but it's the Holy Spirit doing all the work. But primarily, you will not grow into maturity just by being in this building. Right? Number three, find a mentor and be a student. In our American culture, we are very, very, um, we're not hierarchical, right? So when I see uh, Elder Colossa, right, I don't bow to him when I see him, right? I, if I wanted to, I could even call him Dan. I don't because I want to show him respect. But like in American culture, it's very easy to be like, I'm buddy-buddy with everybody, but we need to have mentors. You know why I always encourage our youth to come in here? It's because the church is not the youth group. We have our own youth service. We have our own worship. We have our own uh, tithing. We don't do communion. Because I keep telling them that this is the church. We have to have grandfathers and grandmothers and uh, middle-aged people and young uh, couples and singles and all the way down to children. This is the church. The church is every area. And we can't separate ourselves and pretend like we're having our own church. You know what that, that breeds? It breeds dysfunction. The Bible specifically talks about how we need the older generation. But the problem is the older generation sometimes forgets. They're intimidated by young people, and they won't talk to young people. But statistically, you know what they say? This is what studies are showing. Young people want older people to mentor them. And older people want relationships with younger people. It makes them feel younger. But usually they don't because the younger people are intimidated by you and you're intimidated by the young people and therefore we're a dysfunctional church. We're one family and everyone's thinking, okay, we're kind of. 
maybe spiritually, maybe in heaven we're one family, but I don't feel like one family because I don't know that dude or that guy or that woman over there or that child over there. It should be so that when we walk around here, you should be like, hey, Tom, hey, Jim, hey, Sarah, you know, just name, name after name. But we don't do that because we're too intimidated. We have to be intentional. This message will not work. It's not going to be you sitting there and like some feeling grows over you and all of a sudden everything in your life changes. It takes intentionality. It takes decisions. It may be baby steps, but it takes decisions. Did you know that our youth group and our college group upstairs in the Sunday service is around 80 kids? 80. That is not normal. Did you know most megachurches are struggling to even get past 50? Youth are not coming to church, but our church is. Do you know what that means? That means we have a responsibility as adults to pour into their life. Did you know that most of our youth do not have healthy adults in their life? A lot of these kids are immigrant parent, have immigrant parents. And our immigrant parents, they work so hard. But the fact of the matter is a lot of them have to work so much that they don't get a lot of time with their kids. You know, when our kids get baptized in here, what do we say as a church? That we take on that responsibility of spiritually raising these, these kids. Do we just say that? Or do we really mean it? Now, I know some of you guys are like, whoa, whoa, Howard, you're getting a little crazy. I just want to push you so much that you're thinking, okay, I need to at least make a baby step. I want to make you so uncomfortable that you're like, okay, at least I want to make a baby step. Which might mean, hey, what's her name? Hey, welcome to this church. That's why I told you guys to say welcome. When, I, uh, when Sean was doing the Apostles' Creed and saying, you know, like, greet the visitors. This is the first time. I've been here for like 10 years, this church in almost 10 years. I've never been able to like be in the middle of the crowd greeting. It was so much fun. I was like, welcome to our church. They're all young people. They're all like, Howard, what are you doing? Like, welcome to our church. It's so exciting. The other thing is be a student. That means find a mentor. Ask somebody to mentor you. And if somebody asks you to mentor them, pray about it. You might not feel like you have anything to offer, but even life experience and age You'd be, you'd be surprised at some of what, what young people say to you. They're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I, I can get this job. And you as an older person be like, ah, I've, I felt what you felt. You're going to be okay. I'll help you. I'll encourage you. You might be like, hey, let's just, let's just pray together. Just something really simple. Then that would be like a deep spiritual prayer. You don't have to speak in tongues over them. Find a mentor, be a student. The last one is serve Christ, and this is probably pretty hard. Some of you guys have jobs. But I want to make this very clear. We as the church have to operate in the mission of God. That does not mean that every single one of you will be missionaries as in overseas missionaries. does not mean every one of you will be pastors or Bible study teachers. But every single one of you has a sphere of influence. And you see this all over Facebook. A lot of you guys are on Facebook. You see this on Facebook. Oh, oh that person knows that person? Oh, that person knows that? They, they overlap. There becomes this huge, 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 reaching, far-reaching group of people just from this room. Not just in this room, but all the people that we know. And if you become Christ to those people... We start to change the world. One of the things that my wife and I, that drew us together in the very beginning, was our passion for missions. My wife and I served in missions for nine years. We loved missions. We had a common vision. It wasn't just her vision. It wasn't just my vision. It was a shared vision. You want to become obsessed with Christ. You want to grow with him. Then start to join his vision. I love Philip Kim. 
He's in the back. Philip Kim, when he came to our church, he came from Curtis Baptist, which is a very, very, very big church. And sometimes when people come from big churches, you're just like, oh, we're at KMC. Like, where are you at? And you feel kind of intimidated because, like, they have, like, professional choirs and they have big buses and they have, you know, all these staff and whatever. And you think, well, we might not measure up. But Philip has been one of those major, major proponents in me encouraging me in what, what's happening on our ministries. He's, like, my biggest cheerleader. I'm so kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed. Whenever he gets up, he'll sometimes talk about me. I'm like, ah, oh, stop doing that. I feel really weird. Because God is doing something, and God is doing something in our church, and you can be a part of it. But it means we have to be intentional. You want to become obsessed with Christ? Share his vision. That includes missions overseas. I know, I know, it's mostly youth that go overseas, which is crazy. Most churches aren't like that, but we want to see EM. If, 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 you've, if you've done any of our trips with us to um, retreats or mission trips, um, you, you get to know the kids, and they get to know you, and it's amazing. But they also get to see you in action. And uh, we went to Arizona last year, and there was a few uh, ladies that came with us. And it was so encouraging because we felt like they were our moms. They were always taking care of us. You know, we ate too much. Like it was a mission trip, but we were, like, gaining weight. Because they just took care of us. You know, but we want men and women to join from, from this adult. And I know it's a huge sacrifice. I know it costs money. But you want to become obsessed with Christ, do the mission of Christ. Do the ministry. It's not, it's not optional. Fit that into your life. I just want to encourage you that Christ warns us in Revelation 2, 4 through 5. He's talking about the churches. He says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now, that's a warning. It's kind of scary. But it's very, very true. Before I came to this church, when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, I worked in this church. Its heyday was in the 60s. They were a vibrant church, reaching out to the community. People were getting saved, tons and tons of young people. And then they offered me a job to lead worship. Uh, nah, 2000, like 2000, in, in 2000. And so it was one of those churches where they voted on everything, and so uh, when they wanted to hire me, um, they asked me to play, uh, to lead worship every Sunday for like a couple months, and then they would vote. And so all of the congregation members uh, came to make that vote, and then a lot of the older generation, uh, like the blue hair, older generation, they wanted um, all of their friends to come from all over the, the United States to come and vote against me. Uh, because I was too rock and roll. But, but get this, I only had an acoustic guitar. There was no drums, there was no, there was none, it was just an acoustic guitar. I was too rock and roll. And I, you know, I'm kind of rock and roll because I'm cool, but. Uh, I totally lost what I was going to say. <laughs> so they came, they came and they voted, uh, and I lost, uh, I lost by three votes. Yeah, uh, and so... Um, that wasn't the bad part. I was actually okay with it because I knew, you know, that God had it all under control. But the pastor stood up and the senior elder stood up and they said, this is ridiculous. And they start to yell at the congregation. And they said, you are stopping everything that God is trying to do. I quit. And the senior pastor quits right there while I'm in the room. The senior elder quits. All of these people start to get up, stand up, walk out. 
And I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. I just, I just caused a church split. And I, I ran out of there, went home, was driving home, calling my wife, uh, telling her what happened. Praise God, she wasn't there. But I felt broken because I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. And then I realized that it wasn't me that tried to cause the truth. I was just the straw that broke the camel's back. But it reminded me that in one point in time, this church was the church that was changing the entire community. And it had forgotten. It had lost its focus. Maybe today in this moment we are in the heyday. Maybe kids are coming to the Lord like crazy. The church is growing. This is multicultural. My university wants to study us. Maybe all of these great things are happening, but we can forget. If we start to think that we're all okay and everything's good and God's got us, and we forget to respond. The things that I said, the four points that I said are really, really easy. I get it. Hang out with other Christians. Right? Do missions. Do ministry. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I know this. I know this. But it doesn't mean you do it. We know so much. We're so fat spiritually. We have so much information, but we don't do it. And I'm not saying that you're bad and I'm good because I struggle with the same thing. When we started going across the street to Masoit, I was terrified. My heart was beating when we would knock on the door. And I was like, Lord, please don't let the kids be discouraged. And when they would pray for somebody, I remember JoJo's little brother, Sammy, he was like 8th grade at the time, 7th grade at the time. He knocks on this door, and the lady opens the door, this grandmother, large woman, she comes out, and she's like, hey, we're just going around the neighborhood praying for people. Can we pray for you? And she starts to cry, and she starts to hug Sammy, and Sammy's like this. And he's looking at me. I'm like, it's okay. This is supposed to happen. It's like this. But you better believe in that moment, Sammy had to realize, oh, what it means, my faith in action means that I actually do this. That I'm not just sitting in a pew thinking that everything's okay, because it's not okay. This world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we oftentimes forget that our duty, our responsibility is to bring the gospel. But the only way we can bring the gospel is when the gospel moves us, when it changes us, when we're different, when we're healed. We forget so this new year, I am calling you as a church to refocus, to remember who God has called us to be as a church, so that in 20 years or in 30 years, we will not say, remember those times when our church was growing and everything was great? We will not say, remember those times. We will say, look ahead to what God is doing because he's multiplying and changing everything in our community. Then Masoit is no longer crime-ridden. Because of our outreach in that community. That youth all over Augusta, multicultural youth that don't fit anywhere else, come to our church and feel welcome. And they're dra dragging their families in, their parents in. And parents are getting saved and starting to follow the Lord. And then the communities start to form in here. Networks, men start hanging out with men. And they talk about football and they talk about Jesus. Where there's a mentorship program where, a young, where old men or older men Start discipling our young people. So you know what the young people say to me? They don't say, oh, you know, like my friend said this. I asked him about this, and he said this. Because they do. They go and ask their friends. But you know what their friends know? Nothing. Their friends are in the same. They're both drowning. They're like, hey, so how do you not drown? You, I think you move your legs a little bit. Okay. That's their mentality. But they hang out with older people, and all of a sudden the old people are like, don't worry. I got you. I'm with you. And you see these young people say, hey, you know what? I talked to Elder Klaus about this. 
I'm having trouble with my dad, so I talked to this person about this, and he encouraged me. I feel like I have a bunch of men in my life that are teaching me how to be men. We watch the news, we complain about young people, how they don't know how to act. It's because they don't have fathers, they don't have mothers. That's you. That's us. Amen? Do not turn what Pastor Hong says, we are one family, into a joke. We are one family. It's not a joke. This is what Christ has called us to. Refocus. Let 2016 be your banner year. You grow close, you grow close to Christ. Oh, and he changes our community. He changes our church. He changes you. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness and bringing us this far. God, we forget how blessed we are as a church. How you've called us to more than just blessing, though. You called us to share our blessing with others. And so, Lord, we just ask you to anoint our leadership. We ask you to help our congregation members to respond, to be able to speak the words that you put in their mouth. To share the fire that you've built in, that you've fanned into flame. God, we want to be your people. We don't want church to be a mockery. So we just ask God, all of these things in your name. Amen. If you could all please stand for our response song. hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Is Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love? Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on him.
lies within the veil. My anchor holds. My anchor holds within the veil. Sing it out, Christ alone. Christ alone.
team. They did a fantastic job for us today. Like Howard said before, uh, don't be afraid to talk to us. We're, we're all humans. We're all, we're all family. Uh, you're shy coming to us. We're shy going to you too. If you want something to say to us, please talk to us. We're here and we're ready to help you. Let's close this moment with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless everyone.